0: Welcome to the Moving Beyond Your Tribe, where we talk about new ideas, new words, new approaches to step out of our comfort zones, to break free from our assumptions and create bridges to new opportunities. Hi, I'm your host, Torrin, a multi-potentialite and political agnostic with a passion to bring all sides together through dynamic and thoughtful conversations. On this podcast, I will bring on notable and diverse guests from all walks of life to give us tools to help us be better leaders and colleagues, create stronger business culture, boost our productivity and profits, create impact on our society with our message, and more importantly, help us to be a better mensch. Now let's get started. Well, welcome back to the Movie Beyond Your Tribe podcast. I'm really excited to have on Anne And I'm Norwegian, so it's very hard for me to suddenly try to english a, a good word. But Anne is really from Sintef, which is the largest independent research company in all of Europe, and she is in charge or leads the Sintef Energy, which works a lot on clean energy, carbon capture and storage, hydrogen, and, and even fake snow. And that's <laughs> why I was so interested in having Anne on, because... She has been someone I admired for years. She's been able to be a bridge between the science community and the public. And when she just, by happenstance, tells me about this incredible (laughs) campaign, about this research they do for fake snow, because Norway's losing their snow because of climate Mm -hmm. change. And it got 150,000 views, which is a lot for Norway with 4 million and is still growing. And so I wanted Anne on to just talk about how she has been able to be this bridge and being able to really create interest in very complicated manners. And I think we can really learn from her on
1: how do you actually do that. So welcome, man. Thank you, Torun. Thanks for having me. I've listened to your podcast. Congratulations. <laughs> I learned so much from listening to it. So I'm really happy to be here.
0: Wonderful. So I just want you to tell us a little bit about yourself. How did you get into
1: science communications? I guess that's what you would call it. Yeah. Uh, so. At the moment, I'm the Communication Director of Scientific Energy Research. But before I started working in an uh, energy business, I actually worked with uh, medical science. And the reason for that was that, you know, I did this quite, you know, generic uh, communication degree, like a bachelor. And then I did my master's degree. That was actually a discourse analysis, what we call it in our business, uh, um, of the biotechnology debate at the Norwegian Parliament. So in 2003, the Norwegian parliament were revising the law on biotechnology. Yeah, and, and, I was, and it was an older law and they were revising it. And I found that, you know, the discussion in the Norwegian parliament was actually quite moral. You know, it was, it was actually quite emotional from the politician side. And I found that, you know, they didn't know that much enough, I found, on the technology and the science behind biotechnology. And, you know, this law regulates things like research on embryos and, and also um, egg donation. So granted, you know, there's a big sort of moral side to it. You know, I acknowledge that. But what actually happened was that the year after this law went through, they had to revise it because they didn't realize that, you know, they were prohibiting certain things that they probably wanted to be able, you know, for the doctors to be able to do. And I think this some of the reason for that is that they didn't really have the technology like the politician didn't have the tech insight or the science insight. So at that point I thought, you know, I could have become a politician, but I decided to go into science communication because I thought, you know, I could help scientists communicate this to the politicians in order for them to make, you know, better decisions. Ah, That's really interesting. That's right.
0: Then you you got into SynthEph energy and you work on all kinds of things. And I'd love for you to tell us about, the fake snow campaign. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like, I remember we were in Munich together when you're telling me yeah. this and you were just lighting up like a little kid about this incredible <laughs> campaign. And I would love to have listeners hear about it because it's like, I think it's your attitude and love for science yeah. that helps people want to learn more about science when they hear it from you.
1: Yeah. So I'm, I am I guess I'm a bit of a nerd. I, You know, I love science because I think it's important, right? You know, I need, I think society needs the right technology they need science to make the right decisions you know it's really in these days and age you know we need proper experts right so so it's not like every day you get that kind of story because a lot of the time what you do with energy research is like a lot of people don't really care about energy you know it, you know you don't care until you lose the power right you know you can't charge your phone that's really annoying and then you start thinking ah, yeah you know? but most of the time people don't really even think that the energy is there so what's really important with energy is that it's secure, like security of supply. So a lot of the stuff we do is like cables and, you know, really important infrastructure, but it's not super sexy. You know, it's really, it's not really easy to make a really nice emotional story about a cable. Okay. So, <laughs> so, so then when the scientists came to me and they were saying, listen, we're trying to make these uh, and they're actually making them now, like they're making machines that can make snow in an environmentally friendly way, like very, super energy efficient. And also in a way that I think actually these machines can handle plus degrees. I thought, oh, that's a great story. Because, you know, like in Norway skiing is like, you know, to Americans is like apple pie, right? Right. You know, it's like everybody skis. <laughs> it's like if you're Norwegian, you ski. If you don't, it's just strange. So, and it's really <laughs> a part of, you know, our core and sense of ourselves. So I thought, you know, this is a really emotional story. And, you know, due to climate change, you know, we we have shorter summers in our winters, <laughs> probably longer summers, but we have shorter winters. And so I thought this is a really good story. You know, it's a, an emotional story. So we made this cute little video where actually my son was in it. He was skiing, like struggling uphill with lots and lots of snow. And we had some white and black clips. And we also had this really sad snowman that was melting, you know, <laughs> So, uh, but the thing is, we also, you know, we didn't just have that funny little film, you know, that just created interest. We also had like a proper science story. So if people wanted to know more about this project, you know, they could find out more. So So it has like a layer, you know?
0: You're layering. So yeah, I always try to layer. I I love that because that's what I want us to talk more about. So really when you're doing science communication, you have to kind of layer where you get someone really interested and then you almost take them on an educational
1: journey. Yeah, that's what we try to do because I think it's really uh, important to be transparent about what you do. And I want people to be able to fact check what we do. So let's say, Torin, you're a scientist, right? And you write a scientific article. You know, you have your own little tribe then, you know, when you're a scientist. So it's truly like what I do is sort of help them move beyond their tribe you know, you write scientific articles and you do communicate, you know, you write scientific articles, you go to scientific conferences, you have meetings. And in Cintef, we work with business as well and help them, you know, become more competitive. So then you'll probably have meetings with them as well. But then I would tell you, you know, you know, listen to it. And maybe, you know, there are other people in the world who wants to know what you're doing. And then usually, you know, most of the time they say, yeah, sure. You know, I'd like to know, you know, more people to know what I'm doing. So then I always challenge them and say, listen, could you write a science blog, you know, it's not difficult. It's a really low threshold to do that. And they write me, you know, something. And I send it to one of my really talented colleagues and they sort of rewrite it into a, a blog. And then sometimes in some of these blogs, you find that, listen, this message is really important. You know, this is a message where politicians should probably hear about it. For instance, like the biotech thing would be something that politicians need to hear about. Right. And then, you know, we, we take it a, a notch up and what we do then is sometimes we write opinion pieces other times we you know go to the media and then some stories are like too good <laughs> to sort of not give to the rest of the world like the snow story and we make funny little videos like fun videos like that are quite cute and we put them on social media but if you kind of reverse that if you're exposed to that video if you want to know more, you know, you can read the article in the newspaper or you can read the blog. And if you're really, really super interested, you could actually read the scientific paper as well. So that's sort of the ideal model of communication, you know, when we work. And the reason, you know, we want to be credible. We want to be transparent, you know, that's what, what we do. The interesting thing is the snow thing just took off. Snow yeah. snow just
0: took off. And it wasn't just the yeah. thing itself because when I look back and did some research for this interview, it's really very much tied to a lot of the scientific pieces. So it wasn't just the video itself. It's like Mm. it almost like they all created these packages around the snowstorm, And really what the snow story is, is creating fake news, fake, not fake news, uh, fake snow snow for, uh, for climate change. That's really, it's interesting.
1: And it has to be done in an environmentally friendly way. And that's what they do in that project, you know, and they don't just use lots of energy to do it. They try to do it, you know, smart.
0: So what did you learn from that experience? Because you really, it really ignited, it was on all the news channels in Norway. It Mm -hmm. got international attention, creating environmentally fake snow that can be in, in, not in freezing temperature. What did you (laughs) learn from that experience? That, you
1: know, by using emotions, you know, appealing to people's emotions it does work and we've spoken about this before Torian with you know uh, this is nothing new like 2,300 years ago Aristotle said you know if you're gonna convince someone with your argument you can use ethos logos and pathos and pathos is emotions right right and I think you mentioned to me that if you look at the speeches of Obama a lot of it is appealing to people's emotions but you can't, you know, we're a science institution, right? So you can't just have that. You need to have the ethos and the logos. And the ethos is just, you know, the character of the person who communicates. Right. So a scientist in general should have a high ethos and an integrity. And, and the logos, of course, it has to be uh, logical. And it has to cite an article, you know. Like that. But I think it, it taught me that with a mix of all of these ways to, to argue, like uh, make a good argument, you know, it really works. And it's a technique that Aristotle, you know, claimed uh, ownership to 2,300 years ago, and it still works today.
0: (laughs) But it's so interesting how we don't do that.
1: I think so too. Yeah.
0: You get caught up in like, because you and I have worked quite a bit on science together Mm. when Mm. I was working on carbon capture and storage. And it seems like it's hard to get people to, to change, to change, to make it interesting. So it's kind of, I was like reading an article in Norway, and in the comment sections about carbon capture and storage, the, all these public people, basic citizens, were complaining. Oh, they yeah. don't even know what carbon capture storage no. is. We have a lot of work to do,
1: we communicators, and and how do oh, you yeah. tackle that? What I try to do, what I didn't mention, you know, with with my little, little layering of communication, <laughs> there are different target groups. So when you speak as a scientist, you speak to other scientists. When we do like blogs, it's actually mainly for other scientists around the world and being visible online. So that's a part of our SEO or search engine optimization strategy. And when we start moving up to opinion pieces and the general media, it's still people who are interested in science or technology, especially. Once we move sort of to the top and we start using, that's when we start using more emotion. So I I guess, you know, it's it's more emotional, the higher up you get in the layers. Yeah, it is. So I think actually when you speak to politicians, you know, you have to be rational and you have to be, it has to be credible. But, you know, you can still use emotions, you know, communicating to anyone. You can even use, well, you can use that in any context, really. But I think the most important thing in science communication, apart from these three things that I mentioned, like ether, logos, pathos is also making it relevant. So, you know, we don't have to dumb down. We just have to make it super relevant. And what is relevant these days? Well, climate change is certainly relevant. And that's what we do. I mean, we work with climate tech that can, we don't work, we don't do climate research. We do develop technologies that, you know, create more, that are more sustainable than the stuff we have today. And so that's relevant. <laughs> yeah. and, and also, of course, new jobs, more innovative solutions. So when we speak to politicians, we try to make it relevant. So we say, you know, this technology can potentially create this and that many jobs, or uh, it can potentially cut this and that, you know, CO2 emissions. So I think we change our message according to the target groups that we talk to a lot. So we do, that's a part of the sort of the layering process.
0: But I like the layering process because that, that, that explains kind of even the work I did more intuitively, but I like mm. your strategy around it is that when you're talking to scientists, you can use their language kind of like within their tribe mm. and you don't have to be as reaching out to people, maybe no. as emotional. And you kind of even do that on your science
1: blog, which is one mm. of the largest science blogs in Europe, isn't it? Or in yeah, actually, I don't think there's that many that we can sort of compare <laughs> with. It might be. I think probably it is. You know, it's not as big as one of these newspaper blo- uh, uh, science blogs. But we don't really compete with them. What we want is quality readers, right? So, and what I mean with that is that you know, when you have a blog, what you're going for is that people actually read the blogs, and you don't want people who click and go out again. You want people to actually read the blog extensively what we found, you know, I can tell you a little about this blog, you know, from the yeah, journey so from the beginning. The blog. Yeah. It's like um, one of the most popular blogs. It's got a huge
0: readership and it's very informative and it's interesting because I, I wrote a blog for you guys and yeah. I was talking to, for my last, to pitch this best-selling author to come on the show, I sent several links and mm-hmm. the one link that he read was your science blog, right? Wow. Oh, yeah. had authority it wasn't just my own blog. He's like, yeah, yeah. read your own blog. I got to read what you actually did. Wow. <laughs> I just this on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> right, <Super> right. incredible. <laughs> but, but it was just interesting
1: how it's a very easy, accessible blog yeah. on e-science. Yeah. So what what we did is, uh, you know, I, when I do something, I, I very often, I like to do it as a pilot. You know, I don't, I don't always, some, you know, I do prepare myself, but we don't sort of go all in like big. So what we try to do a lot of the time. So I guess it's kind of a scientific approach in a way. We, we try something out and then we fail and we try again. And if it really doesn't work, we stop doing that. But a lot of the time it does work and then we continue doing it. So with the Sintif blog, it actually started off as the Sintif energy blog. So it was just for, you know, me and my closest colleagues. We started that six years ago and it worked quite well. You know, we got a readership and and some of the blogs were really good and and were read, you know, quite extensively. And so I think two or three years ago, we thought, no, we'll go big. You know, we give this blog to the rest of Sintef because in Sintef, we don't do just do energy research. We do like digital research, ocean research on several areas. So I said, listen, you know, this is open for all of Sintef to still to use this and that was, you know, suddenly we got more readers. But then what happened, I think about, so Think this there was a shift, like approximately two years ago. So there was this scientist that I work with, his name is Michael Bessidan, and he wrote this blog on face change materials. So I would guess, I didn't know what face change materials were. And I'm, I don't know. Do you know what it is? Yeah, I know. <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> but the thing is, you know, most people don't know, but people who know what it is, they know what it is, right? You know, <laughs> if you're interested in face change material, you're really into face change materials. You're in your so tribe. He, yeah, you're in your tribe, right? So, so he wrote this blog and it was really quite long, but it was good. You know, he had lots of juicy details and I mean, it was super nerdy. You know, it's really interesting to people who are really into that. And what we noticed is that this blog was super popular. And people found it through Google, which means, you know, people, and this is what people call, you know, long tail strategy, you know, that you really, you, you, you claim a niche. So when you Google face change materials, hopefully, most likely you'll find this blog or else, you know, send me an email, but, you know, so this ranks really high up. And then we thought, you know, we need to do this. We need to claim these expertise areas because the of if there are like 2000 scientists and it's almost like there are 2000 expertises, right? So when I talk to scientists, I say, listen, you know, you know this, you're probably the world expert on what you're doing. Don't you want to be the guy or the the woman that, you know, you find when you Google this area, this was a bit of a breakthrough to us. So what we actually did from then on that we decided the blog should not be as general. It should be more specific and actually slightly more science science sciencey. And what happened then was that, you know, it grew overnight. It almost doubled, literally you know, the readers. And, it, and also what happened is that we find that people were like reading the blogs for six and seven minutes, which means they actually read the whole thing. You know, it's not like you and me to you know, we reading all these stories and like really fast, right. I guess that's what communicators do, but, you know, right. but, you know, they're properly read. And, and so the blog is growing every single month and we like beat records every single month. So it's really fun. And, um, uh, and now I've rigged the team. I've got a new guy working on this uh, to, to help us with this strategy. So I have a really good team that, you know, helped me with this. So we're trying to... to, to, to read, FFL, yeah, really about niching yourself down. Yeah, yeah, and it niching
0: is. niching yourself down, which is contrary to what you think, but by niching it really down,
1: you actually mm. reach outside of your tribe. You do, exactly. And and because this guy, Michael Bassidon, he, you know, he wanted to be visible in this area. You know, he would write science article. I guess he would use meet sort of the usual suspects, you know, in meetings and conferences, but he wanted a bigger reach. So what actually happened through this, this blog is that people started contacting him, but he was actually quite good as well, sharing it on LinkedIn. So he had like this, He's a natural, right? So you know, he knew how to share it and stuff. So uh, but then people started contacting him and, and he actually now has a really big project on face change materials on this. And it's it's a really growing area for us because when he wrote the blog, he was actually in the beginning, you know, he was just starting to do this. So now you need to so, tell me yeah. in like two or three sentences what is face change material? Oh, <laughs> you have to Google it. <laughs> I can't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't justify, it, but actually the, the blog is not too bad. You can actually, it would, I think it would make sense to you. Uh, you might not read the whole thing, but you'd understand the beginning. <laughs> but it, it, it can actually revolutionize, you know, can make things more energy efficient. Okay. And uh, yeah, so it, it does have a, it can have a potential quite big impact from what I hear. <laughs> but that's so interesting
0: is that you created this whole niche for him yeah. and then you've done that with other people as well.
1: Yeah. So if you Google, for instance, like, uh, can I put my Christmas tree in the wood stove? Hopefully you're going to find the Synthes blog and you shouldn't do it. <laughs> do not put it into the wood stove. It's super dangerous. So okay. yeah, so we actually do have signs on that. You know, they've actually tested the emissions and they're like, no, 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 don't do that. Don't do that at home.
0: Oh, that's so interesting. Wow. So where is that in your layering? Like when you're talking about layering, yeah, uh, out to the so the public is kind of the top where you the top more emotion you're more sensible. Yeah. and that's probably what you have regular newspaper articles
1: yeah. is that kind of it is yeah and, and and politicians second layer you know people, tech people tech who are yeah tech? that's politicians third layer CEOs. Uh, researchers from around the world, potential, you know, like students, you know, people who know, you know, what we're talking about. That's nope. where the blog is. And then the, uh, the, the the bottom layer, you know, the substance where everything comes from is the science. And that's where, you know, the scientific articles are. I actually have a triangle. I can, I, we can put it in the show notes. Yeah, put it in the show notes. I love yeah. it. How do you become
0: so well versed that you can be that bridge between each mm. of the layers? Because when I read some of those technical articles, mm. I'm like, mm. how in the world am I going to, even turn that into blog and then after yeah. the blog, how am I actually going to turn that into an op-ed that the politician's going to right, do? Yeah. How am I going to actually turn this into something regular people going to in? What kind
1: of process do you go through to understand these technical things? I think what I mean, personally, what I'm personally good at is to see a good story. I'm not, you know, I have people that work with me who are a lot better in actually translating it. So I think My job is sort of uh, finding the gold very often. You know, it's not just me, also my colleagues, of course. But, you know, I I think I'm quite good at seeing, oh, this is a good story. This is a good potential story. I sort of challenge the people that I work with. It's like, put a little bit more emotion into it, you know. So that's that's kind of my job. (laughs) So I challenge them. Can we make this more fun? Can we make this more uh, interesting? What I always do, like when I speak to my colleagues, is I always ask them, you know, why... Why should I care about this? You know, why is this important for the for, for the environment? You know, what could this create new jobs? Because I think, you know, if you work as a scientist, you know, you work really very often on a very specific field. You know, you work on like not, you know, like a really a minuscule, like a small level of a system, for instance. You know, you don't work with the whole system, unless if you work with like energy system research, because that's quite, you know on a bigger level, but you work on your, your piece of the puzzle, right? So my job is kind of to help them to see the big picture, to see, you know, what you're actually doing could contribute to making the world maybe a little bit better or a lot better by, you know, so I think that's my job is sort of to lift them and help them see the big picture. But of course, you know, we do have a lot of scientists who are super talented and they see this themselves. But I think what's and I didn't realize that when I started doing the blog, but what I realized is by, because we've actually had more than a thousand bloggers now, and it's not really a goal for us to have as many blogs as possible because they really should be as good as possible, of course. But the fact is that, you know, we do get a lot of stories in and through those stories, you know, you find a lot of goals. So you get, you involve the, whole, like almost the whole organization. So if you look at Sint of Energy, I think, I did count it last year. And then I think oh, uh, a little over half of the organization had actually written a blog. You know, so it's not just a few people. It's like everyone has yeah. written blogs, like almost everyone. not really in it.
0: And it's just yeah. a lower threshold than going yeah. into like some kind
1: of a magazine or. or it report. is. It? Yeah. Because I mean, that's scary. You know, let's say if I talk to a journalist and you know, a scientist and I said, that's a super interesting story. Maybe we should tip like a journalist. That can be quite scary, you know, uh, to, to a scientist. So if, they, if you ease them into it, and, and it's really good training for them. But the thing is, you know, you have to acknowledge scientists are really good writers. I mean, that's what they do a lot of the time. You know, they do science and they write a lot. So they usually are quite good at writing scientific articles and proposals. So they actually, it's a format that suits them really well. Uh, but it's not for everyone to go on a radio interview or a podcast or... But it's, it, through the blog, it's a good training platform. And then, then, you know, after maybe someone has written a couple of blogs and you can start challenging them and ask, you know, maybe you're ready for the next step, you know. So it's a good training, you know, to do it this way as well.
0: How would you decide, define science communication?
1: I think for me personally, you know, when I go to work every day, my job is to increase the impact of science. So give wow. the science a bigger footprint. Because it's it's quite intuitive. Can you imagine, like, if you're doing science and I can help that science out into the world, you know, internationally, potentially, there will be more people hearing about it, more politicians, you know, hearing about it, and maybe more politicians making the right decisions. And and more people using the science, you know, and applying the science. So uh, it's, of course, this is not a one-to-one, you know, it's not as easy as that. That's just a simplified version. But my job is to increase the impact of science and making people understand science and educate them in science, but also accepting science. I mean, that's a really big bit, you know, part of it. What do you mean by accepting science? I think, especially now with COVID-19, you know, there's so many things that we need to put money into, government money into, right? And, uh, well, since only has like a five percent government funding, so it's not like most of our projects are funded by our industry partners, but also through projects that we sort of win. You know, you apply for projects and you you get these projects. But a lot of science is publicly funded, so in order for people to understand why that's a good idea, you have to tell them you know the results from the science because at, you know in this day and age you can put money into healthcare, you know uh, teaching. Uh, you know, schools, culture, you have all of these good things that we should put our money into. And, in, and so I wouldn't, you know, say that other things are not important. I, I can just say why I think science is important to politicians. So, and, and also to the general public, because that's, you know, if people don't care about science, you know, I don't think politicians would care about it either in the end. Well, I think
0: it would be great if you could give us an example, because I think you did a really great job with your colleague on the wind.
1: The yeah. Winding. Yeah, what we did was that there was a colleague of mine, uh, her name is, and she's also a really good friend of mine, and a yours too, and her name is Hege Tunsta. And she, at the moment, she worked at the Norwegian U- University of Science and Technology, which is sort of our, that Sintef came from this university, and that's our main partner. You know, we work together all the time, we have projects together, and so it was natural to work together with her on this project. So the problem was, so Alex, this, I'll tell you the problem first, we have done science on offshore wind research for about, I mean, 20 years or something. And uh, you know what offshore wind is? I can explain. So if you look at the the, the, glo- the globe, you'll see a lot of blue sea, right? <laughs> and you'll see some land. But, you know, there's some pressure on land. You know, there's not, we don't have that much space on land, you know? And, and especially with wind turbines in Norway and in many, very many other countries, it can be quite controversial. So, one idea is to put the wind turbines offshore and what we are experts in are making these floating turbines which means that they can go actually quite far out offshore and this can potentially give like lots of energy around the world and actually the Norwegian company Equinor, I think they're building these offshore wind turbines outside of um, of New York so I mean this is happening all over the world so the problem is so that's just great that's not a problem right the issue was that, you know, we've been doing this for 15 years and now the rest of the world is doing it. You know, they're doing it China, Korea, you know, all over the world. And what we thought is that we, in order for Norway to be competitive and still be world leading in this area, we need to do the science, we need to educate the students in this area. And very concretely, in order to do that, we need a big center, a research center on offshore wind research, because we think that is really important for Norwegian industry and for the world in order to do this. So what we started doing in January last year was we started writing uh, opinion pieces. Hege is a really talented writer. So she wrote some really catchy pieces with great titles, you know, that people copied from her. You know, really, she's really good at that. And we, we had two scientists, especially one colleague of mine, Thumba, who's, you know, the scientist who gave us all the science. So everything that we wrote was based on science that we've done. And then we had open meetings with politicians and the general public. We nominated youul la to this international mission innovation prize, which he actually got, and we wrote like white papers and it all sort of what you call it culminated in August last year in, during Arndal and I guess we should probably explain what Ardaluka is it's like the Davos
0: of Norway you have all these events around on particular issues and it's where you really it's almost like the marketplace where politicians and investors and
1: businesses they all meet yeah. and you can kind of sell your idea yeah and it's quite and it's super unique I think to li- read it like listeners around the world is kind of it sounds kind of strange but you would actually see the prime minister walk around the streets of Arndal in this little tiny town in the south of Norway and you can actually talk to these politicians and there are lots of political meetings and it's and you have NGOs and you have businesses and you know, it's, it it's kind of shows that, you know, it's quite an open society in this way. And you don't need to be like a big lobbying company in order to talk to politicians. You can actually no, do that. No, have
0: events at cafes and all yeah. this stuff. Like the whole town turns into mini events everywhere. Yeah. And, then, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then it's but, like a marketplace you choose. <laughs> Where am I going to, what am I going to go to?
1: Yeah, uh, it's like a big festival. And uh, it is a festival. So I guess, you know, the big challenge there is to be visible, you know, having like the big, popular sort of show. Uh, So what we did is that we had this uh, open event on a boat uh, on this issue on offshore wind research. And we invited, you know, top politicians and we invited uh, the industry to talk about this. And it was a really great meeting. But what actually happened that evening was that Yunula Tanda, my colleague, was invited to the national news. So this was like the top spot on the national media. In the middle of our So we actually got to talk to about this with the oil and energy minister commenting on it. And I think they were on for like 10 or 15 minutes. So it was really like a unique way to say, you know, this is super important. So we really got the visibility then. And then what happened after that was that our CEO, Alexandra Bekyev, was invited to the Prime Minister to speak about you know, our stand on this from SINTEF. So she actually got to talk to the prime minister about this. She so got to give so a Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you know, it's it's a really good position to be, and it's not just it's not about CINTEF, you know, it's about we really do believe this is important for Norway. So what actually happened a couple of months back was that they decided they're going to fund a, a, a center for offshore wind research. You know, a lot of people say, "Oh, of course you're going to want that," but thing, of course we would like to do that, but it's it doesn't necessarily mean that we're going to get the center. We still had to compete to get this center. Someone else might get the center. But our main point was that we think Norway needs this research center. Whether we do it or someone else do it, we just need that center. Because it's and
0: really it important you to, to fund a center and that you might not win it, but you were able to make it. Yeah,
1: exactly. I think one of the funniest things that happened in the, uh, at the end of 2019 is, you know, they, I don't know if you do this in the US, but in Norway they make this list of the 10 most Popular, like new words, and at number nine, you had the word Havim, which is the Norwegian word for offshore wind. I don't know, I couldn't say that here, and it was just because of me and here, but we think we really did have a you know, we contributed we to putting this on the agenda, and you, yeah. used, you got it on the agenda,
0: so that's yeah, that's really, that's a really cool um yeah. story, and so
1: yeah, so and we used to actually. St- it was straight out of the book. We used exactly the mold, you know, we layered it, you know, because everything was based on science. You know, everything that we said and the and not we, uh, the scientists said, was based on science we've been doing for like 15 or 20 years.
0: And you had to write the network and everything.
1: <laughs> so I guess
0: coming down to kind of a close, but what do you think about COVID-19? Has things changed a lot for you guys? Or have you see any changes in your layering
1: of communication? Mm. You know what? You know I'm. You could say I'm probably paid to say this, but I, I truly think science communication is more important than ever. And the reason for that, I'll I'll explain why. <laughs> and that's if you look at what happened in January, there were some Chinese researchers. They actually uh, gave the rest of the world access to the COVID nineteen genome. And what does that mean? Well, that means that, you know, the rest of the scientists and doctors around the world could get going, you know, it really could. And this is what in, in, in science we call open science. So they gave it to the rest of the world to start studying this and trying to find a vaccine as soon as possible. And this is imperative for us to find a vaccine and also get the best treatment possible. But the thing is, you know, when, when, when COVID-19 hopefully is gone, there's still going to be the issue of climate change. And that's not going to go away. And that's why I think it's really important that, you know, me to get, to get you know, uh, that we who communicate science and, and the scientists really get out there and, and we tell our stories and we tell, you know, the different solutions that we have because we have lots of solutions. It's not just offshore wind or CCS. So the politician can make the right decisions and really do something about climate change and because it is all, you know, sustainable energy solution. is like a super, you know, it's a huge part of uh, making the world more sustainable. So I think, no, I wouldn't say it's a positive thing because COVID-19 is awful. But what's, the only thing I think we <laughs> probably has been good about is the way that we're working across borders and trying to find the solution quickly. And I think this is what we need to do also in, in um, uh, technology and, yeah. That's interesting. So it's, you,
0: you find that with COVID, there's a greater cooperation between borders.
1: Especially on COVID-19, I think. Uh, and, the thing is, scientists are actually quite open. They do work a lot across borders, but I think especially what you see because it's, it has so much attention in the media. And can you imagine if if you're a scientist and you have a really good idea on how to treat COVID and you keep it to yourself? You know, if you keep it to yourself, there's going to be some hack who's <laughs> going to publish something on YouTube instead. You know, you want the experts out there. You know, you have an obligation to, to tell the world your results because that's, you know, we need the experts. We need... Um, People who know what they're doing.
0: <laughs> so how do you how do you step away then from being caught in the whole fake news genre? Mm. Like mm. how do you how have you been able to create credibility around your scientists so that people trust
1: the information? I mean that's that's a very good question because that's the core of what we're doing. I think trying to be credible and transparent in everything that we do. And I think You know, you know this. There's every year there's this um, barometer from the Edelman Trust Barometer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, You know this, and they ask people who do you trust, and it's really horrible to read because it makes you really depressed because nobody trusts anyone. And it it looks like you know actually top three is that people trust people like themselves. Can you imagine? (laughs) That's what people do. Yeah, so it's kind of sad. But actually, so what I can be slightly optimistic about is they actually trust doctors and scientists and they oh, still really? do that and that but that gives us that's a big responsibility you know that's a, that means that you know we have a responsibility to, to share our results but also that we have to be really transparent in what we do because everyone can make mistakes but we have to I think that's why it's so important to layer the communication so people actually can see the science behind what we're doing so it's not just you know I don't like things that are just shallow you know it needs it needs to have a substance you know that's what you know we're in the business of substance. <laughs>
0: bringing down the depth mm. oh, that's great so uh, do you have any like uh, last reflections on all the campaigns that you've done and if someone's going to reach out to science community or reach public with something that's outside of their tribe what, mm. what would you kind of give as a uh,
1: an advice yeah that's a big question <laughs> uh i think if you work if you work in-house in an organization you know, you should try and use the format that the people and your colleagues are comfortable with using. So I think some oh, of the I'm success. Okay. Yeah. So I think it's a, some of the success in my organization, because it's not like blogs is like super innovative, you know, anymore. You know, it's, it's, it's been done for like 20 years, but it works, you know. And the reason for that is, as I mentioned, you know, scientists are good at writing. And I think also it's really important to involve the whole organization. So you sort of, you get all the really good stories and you find the like really good stories in organizations. So you get people enthusiastic about communication. So it's not just a branding activity. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's the heart of the organization who's sharing the knowledge that they have. So I guess my, my advice, I guess, would be to, to sort of involve as much as you can with the organization. Wow it's perfect.
0: Well, thank you. Do you have any, do you have any hacks that you do like new software, new apps or something that you really like? Um,
1: that's that's really interesting. Happening? You know, what we've been trying to look at lately is like a, a super, super cool webinar solutions, but we haven't really found it yet because, you know, with this, we noticed that uh, we've had this webinar so who has been, you know, we've had a lot bigger reach. You know, usually when you have like webinars, you, we have all of these science meetings and and people meet and maybe there's like a uh, hundred participants but we had this webinar before the summer holidays and it actually had like 600 participants and it was really actually it was on CCS and hydrogen oh, wow. so and we really what happened then was that you know we had when you looked at the list of the people who participated it was people from all over the world and I think what we can take from COVID-19 is that we need to do more of that Because it's more sustainable. You don't have to travel as much. And it's better for families, you know. You don't have to be away from your families. I mean, we're still going to meet up. We're not going to just do that. So I don't really have a solution because we're still using some solutions that are kind of old-fashioned, but it looks like all of these solutions are really developing like Zoom and Team, and they're having new integrations every single week but what we're trying to find out because what we do at the when you have a science conference you know you have all these breakout sessions and you have poster yeah. sessions and stuff like that so we're trying to find solutions for that i wish i could say you know this is the perfect system but we don't <laughs> i don't know what it is yet but that's that's something that we're trying to find your a um, uh, better solution for that so we could do that more professionally in the future so uh, no i don't really but i think this has changed you know that and we're looking more into helping uh, scientists doing that part of the job as well, because that, traditionally they've done that themselves, you know, how they could reach out to their peers. But I think we as communicators can also help them with that.
0: Well, I just have to say thank you so much for um, your work. And and where can we find you? On social
1: media? Well, I'm on Twitter. It's called Twitter Anna. So I'll have to go ahead to put that in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> So I guess that's my kind of most. We'll
0: definitely definitely put the blog on there.
1: Yeah, you can. Yeah. And I actually wrote a blog myself and it's called How to Write a Science Blog. I love that one. Yeah. And I've had some help with some colleagues. You know, I've got this new guy on the team. He's really talented. So he's helped me brush up on my article. So I can't say it's just all, you know, I haven't written all everything myself. I've had a lot of help. But that's actually, I think if you Google that, it's actually ranks quite high. But you have to go like How to Write a Science Blog. You know, but I, you know, I wouldn't know. If not, tell me
0: what <laughs> well, I need mean, you... to do. send the show notes. So they can, they can reach out to you. Yeah, and, uh, I just want to. Say That'd thank be you great. Much. yeah. Thank you so much me- for teaching us about layering communications. We need to put that in there too. If you have something on the layer communication, I'll find. I'll send you
1: the triangle as well. <laughs> yeah, send the triangle to us.
0: Well, yeah, okay, I will. And this was fabulous conversation. It
1: thank you. Very well. Thank you so much. <laughs>
0: Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you know at least one or two friends that would get a lot of value from this, send this episode. Or text a couple of your friends right now to a WhatsApp group, post it on your Instagram stories, Facebook or Twitter. And don't forget to tag me at and Share with anyone you think that needs to hear this message. And if you're new, please pop on over to your favorite podcast app and subscribe leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you. And how can we prove and make this better? Or how did this help you? And don't forget to join us next week for another episode of Moving Beyond Acronyms.